Welcome to Go Ask Alley, a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. I'm a sniper. I'm admitting it. Oh, you're a sniper. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The fact that you don't keep your mouth shut is what's so great about you. Well, thank you. Truly. And will you tell that to my husband? <laughs> if you can shine as you go into death, you can shine as you go into middle age, right? Yeah. Like, why not start now? I'm going to enjoy my life. At the end of the day, I'm just a little particle on an asteroid flying through space. So. Exactly. Yeah. You got it. We're just a spec. We're specs. Welcome to Go Ask Allie. I'm Allie Wentworth, and this season I'm digging into everything I can get my hands on, just peeling back the layers and getting dirty. Okay, well, this episode is about beating back COVID depression. I'm digging into how we can bring more fun, creativity, and connection into our everyday lives. Listen, guys, it's been two years, and in an unprecedented time, a global pandemic. And I think the stress of the pandemic, I think what's been going on politically, and even in our own personal lives has put us in this kind of malaise bubble. And so this podcast is about how we get through this COVID-19 depression, how we have hope, and how we learn to play more. I'm curious to know if people had hobbies during this time. I mean, I, I ate a lot of ice cream and watched a lot of streaming. But then I kind of, after about six months, realized that it is the creativity that was kind of lifting me up out of my sofa. And I started doing little things like making Valentine's cards from scratch, writing letters. I started writing a book. And I realized that these little creative things were life preservers in this pandemic world we were living in. And they helped me get through it. And I, I do think that there is real data we're going to find with having fun and finding creative outlets and finding connection, particularly in an uncertain world. And I have two very esteemed guests today to discuss this. Eve Rodsky has a Harvard-trained background in organizational management. She explores the cross-section between the science of creativity, productivity, and resilience. Eve is a New York Times bestselling author of Fair Play, a gamified life management system, and the upcoming follow-up, Find Your Unicorn Space, Reclaim Your Creative Life in a Too-Busy World. And Dr. Aditi Nurukar. Dr. Aditi Nurukar is a physician at Harvard Medical School and a medical correspondent with an expertise in stress, resilience, burnout, and mental health during the COVID-19 pandemic and beyond. Her work has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, CNN, Oprah Magazine, and the Washington Post. She appears on air as a medical commentator for MSNBC and NBC News and writes a column for Forbes. And together, they co-host Time Out, a Fair Play podcast. Hello, Eve and Aditi. I am so glad you guys are here because everybody I know is depressed. It's been two years. I used to be an extrovert. I used to be social. I used to be flitter out in the world. And now I don't like leaving our apartment. I find that a lot of my friends are kind of in this steady, low-grade depression. And we got to figure out how to get out of it. Well. Allie, I'll just say, first of all, thank you for having us. My pleasure. Fix the problems. (laughs) (laughs) We spent a lot of time thinking about these things. And really, you know, I don't think either of us necessarily thought we would spend our life speaking about 
protecting our time and stress and resilience. But I would say in the past 10 years, I interviewed people in 17 countries. And I said, how do you feel about your home life right now? This is before the pandemic. And there was one word that came up the most in my word cloud, um, and that was drowning. And then if I asked people to unpack what that word meant to them, Allie, it was overwhelm plus boredom. Is this predominantly women that are saying this or both men and women? It was men and women, Mm -hmm. but I would say I spoke probably at this point, two thirds of my interviews, I'd say, or more are women. And I said in 17 countries and this idea of overwhelm and boredom is a really deadly combination. This idea that we literally can't find a minute in our day to do anything, but that every single thing we do is too important to cast it aside so that there's literally no time left for ourselves. Mm -hmm. That's the combination we're trying to address today. I also found when I speak to my girlfriends, everything feels, and this is pre-COVID too, very transactional. Life is just lots of transactions. Everybody felt like my life is just about like paying bills and getting this and getting through the day and what's tomorrow. And then this global pandemic hit and it was sort of like, well, I'm doing that now, but I'm losing my kind of (laughs) happiness and I'm even losing my sense of resilience because I can't take this anymore, you know? And then you have the warring about masks and you just go, oh my God, I... You know, I'm just, I'll rewatch Succession again. I can't. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like the pandemic was like a, a slap in the drowning face a little bit. You know, it is that we are living through the perfect storm, Allie. Mm hmm. We, like you said, tensions were high prior to the pandemic, and now we're entering year three. And in doctor speak, it's like we've gone from an acute condition to a chronic one. And we need that cognitive shift, but we weren't prepared for that. We were prepared for a pandemic sprint. We thought a couple of weeks, maybe a few months, the summer, and then we'll be out of this. And here we are in year three. So this is a real cognitive leap that we haven't been able to make. And pandemics, even I talk about this a lot, pandemics really stoke our primal fears. And it is a fear of survival, for lack of a better word, right? We are very adept at stress. And stress can be a really adaptive response to in an acute situation. We're very good. Our brains are great for that. But when it becomes chronic, that's when things like burnout, anxiety, depression, and all of these mental health conditions, which are at a record high right now, that's when they set in. So it's not you or me or Eve. It is a collective issue because it's not us. It's our biology. And it's that biology of stress that continues to be pushed against its limit now entering year three. Well, so let me ask you this. I think at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, it was it was all fear-based. You know, we all freaked out and we were, you know, windexing our bananas or whatever it is you were doing. And there was a real, you know, talk about survival mode. It was like, oh my God, how do I not die? And I got COVID very early on, which, you know, of course- I remember that. Scared the shit out of my family. You and George had very different symptoms. I remember that. He was asymptomatic. And of course, I was- Laura from Little Women. But, um, Mm. you know, which I said to him, I said, this is reason enough to get divorced. The fact that you have no symptoms and I've been in a room for three weeks with a fever. (laughs) But there was that kind of 
fight or flight panic we all had. And then it it was a little bit like, okay, enough already. This is going on way too long. And I feel like now after, you know, Omicron has dissipated a little bit, that fear of death has gone. And now it's just, well... <laughs> you know, we're okay, but this just, I have to wear my mask and I have to keep getting tested. But, you know, and I think that's where the malaise and the depression come in. This middle ground is is hard for a lot of people to chart, I, I found. Well, I'll just say that Adam Grant called it languishing, right? This idea that we're languishing. Mm-hmm. And so Aditi and I started to think about, well, what's the opposite of languishing? And We've been talking a lot about the word flourishing, right? This idea of how do you flourish? And one of the best ways to start to flourish again is really to understand that daily flourishing is is associated with creativity. Daily flourishing is not going to be solved anymore with a walk around the block or even getting back to whatever normal was. Daily flourishing, we're not going to get there by having a drink with a friend, Allie. Like you said, I'm an extrovert. I don't even want to get out either. But it's this idea that we have to become interested in our own lives again. And what does that look like? Well, especially for women, I think that's so hard because our time is our most valuable currency, especially in a capitalist patriarchy. And we've been taught to give it away to literally everybody else. Mm -hmm. One time journal study said women have been interrupted every three minutes and 42 seconds on average during the pandemic. When you don't have the ability to pay attention, then the stress just exacerbates. And so what does it mean to be interested in your own life again? Well, I think that's, you know, we can't tell you what it is for you, but we can tell you how to find it. I mean, for Allie, you know, this podcast, it's important. You know, whether you make a dollar from it or billion dollars for it, you know, it's important. It means you're in a flow state. I pay them. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Let let you have the time away. So, Mm -hmm. you know, mommy's on... I see your headphones on, right? The idea of not being interrupted, but it really requires three things. It requires the ability to pay attention, mm-hmm. sustained attention for something that you love to do. And it requires actually physical and mental space. This just reminded me that pre-COVID, for my birthday every year, I used to go away by myself. Yes. You know, and my at the beginning, my husband, George, was like, this is very odd. And my girlfriends were like, you're going away alone? I said, yes, I am going away alone. And I would go away for a long weekend and I would, you know, walk on the beach or hike in the mountain or wherever I was and I would read and I would think. I realized I didn't give myself any time to think about anything. Like, what do I think about the death penalty? You know what I mean? Like, do I even like these sneakers? Did I just buy them because I was told? Like, just, just, I I got to really you know, for lack of a better sentence or to be a little cringy. It was like I had a weekend with myself. And I found not being able to do that even during COVID was really hard for me because I haven't had any time to reboot, to unplug, any of that. And I I think that's part of the depression of getting a little bit lost in this time where I've got kids and dogs and a husband and stuff and you know, I got to clean the vegetables. I got to vacuum. I got to, you know, make sure everyone's happy. And it's a lot. And I think women always give themselves up first. We need that space. Yeah. (laughs) I have so much to say about that. You know, what's interesting is first, the reason that we are at this spot right now in year three is because we've had no recovery. So we went through that hypervigilance and that state of acute anxiety. And what's supposed to happen after acute 
anxiety is a period of recovery. And we have never gotten that period of like big sigh, deep breath, recalibration, out of fight or flight, back to a rest and digest state. I mean, biologically, we just went from active, oh my God, are we going to die to no, it's this low grade thing that never goes away. We function well when there's an end. That's why marathons are marathons, because we know that there is a finish line and we can get there. But that finish line just keeps moving and moving. Mm -hmm. So this is why we're just, you know, all of us are running on fumes. And even I, coincidentally, Ali, just spoke today about this idea of creating a space and really carving out a physical space. I used to do the same. I used to go away in Boston to a hotel room for two nights when it just got too much. And my husband would always joke and say, like, what's the deal? Are you going to meet someone? Like, what's going on? Yeah, what's his name? Yeah. (laughs) And I'd say, no, you don't get it. It's like the greatest joy to sit in a robe for two days, order room service, not talk to anyone. And so then that was our deal. And then he'd say, like, go for it. Yeah. What a gift that is because you just get time to yourself. We haven't gotten that opportunity right now. And our brains, you know, especially because we, as women, but also men, but but women, we are multidimensional beings. We're spouses, we're mothers, we're workers, we're friends. And to do all of those roles well, we need spaces to do them in. We are now confined. We are confined to one space, our home. One little room where we're supposed to do everything and all of it well, held to the same standards, our brains do not work that way. We function best when we are in different spaces. You know, without getting too scientific, when we are in resilient mode, let's say pre-pandemic, we are governed by an area called the prefrontal cortex, which is like right behind the forehead. Mm -hmm. This is what is memory, organizational, planning, Cognitive functions, higher complex cognitive functions. Under stress, so since 2020 to now, we are being governed by the amygdala. That is our stress response. We call that the lizard brain. It's the part of the brain that has not evolved. So whether it's a tiger in the forest, caveman time, or a metaphorical tiger that we experience now, we have that same acute stress response. And that going on for year one, two, and three can cause lots of problems like sleep fragmentation, elevated cortisol, which causes weight gain, inability to concentrate, inability to feel productive, all of the challenges that we're having in our relationships because we're seeing these people every day. That wasn't how life was designed to live with your spouse, work with your spouse, have breakfast, lunch, and dinner with your spouse, and then all of the parenting and the schooling that we're doing with our children. So it's a pressure cooker situation. And what even I explore in our podcast is that ability to be able to have that respite. I think of it as like a tea kettle. We're trying to change the temperature, but the temperature can't change. These are external factors, the pandemic and all of these other factors. But we can open up that lever to blow off the steam, to have that therapeutic release. And so that is what we are really talking about, that idea of releasing the steam, even in the midst of a pandemic and that pressure cooker situation. I want to release some steam. And by the way, I know a lot of people that got divorced during this period because there was no releasing of the steam or anything. Yeah. And it's time for a short break. Great. Let's get back to it. 
so when you think about the space at home, I am fortunate enough that I have a few different spaces that I can go to, that I can claim my own and my kids can claim their own. And I think about women all the time, like single mothers who have a bunch of kids who don't have space. What do you say to them? You can't tell them like, well, why don't you go meditate in the car? You know, I wonder about women that don't have the luxury of space in terms of cubic feet. It's actually very, very hard to be a single parent in America. So I think about my mother a lot, who was that. We were in a small apartment in the Lower East Side, single mother, and all the single mothers that I spoke to in 17 countries uh, for my research. And what we realize is that we need to fight for the bigger solutions, but also you can take these small steps of agency in your own life. And the first step is that you don't need to be all things to all people at all times. It's okay to be unavailable from your roles. That self-talk is really, really important. The batting back of guilt and shame, literally even the ritual of listening to a podcast for five minutes on their way to work, baking a pie for a friend, these things that are communal are really, really important for single parents who've been taught that they can do it all and they can't. So what I would say, it's the connection to the community that has been the most important for single parents. Curiosity, connection, and completion are three really important things for creativity. But that middle part, that connection is very, very important. So one single parent I spoke to recently, I met her through another woman who does this, of women who have celiac, who also bake treats for other celiacs that taste as good as <laughs> gluten-filled pastries. And her reason for being right now is this idea that I can make a pastry that tastes as good for my community. So there's something small for them, a sweet treat during the pandemic. And I thought that was really beautiful. So I would say it's really about this connection to a wider community that we've all said that is a nice to have, but it's a must have, especially in a country that has no social safety net, no paid leave, no universal childcare, no health insurance that's not tied to our jobs. And is losing all sense of community. None. Our country as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. None. Yeah. And that's it. And the beauty of this sharing celiac treats with your community is that some of the people you're going to share with are maybe people you've never met before. I would say writing my second book, I've connected to people on their creativity, like my new friend, David in Texas, who took up bull riding in his 60s. I will say that, Ali, I probably never would have spoken to <laughs> David in Texas, the bull rider, if it wasn't for the community. You know, I wouldn't have met you. So sometimes when you just take that first step into a creative life, you don't really know where it's going to lead you. But I will tell you that a creative life is a connected life. And that's one that absolutely we need right now. You know, the great irony of this pandemic is that we all feel alone, isolated, and unable to cope. But if you were to knock on your neighbor's door, they are going through the exact same thing. So we are having an individual experience of trauma, isolation, and yet it's this surreal collective experience. And what's been so fascinating in therapeutic terms as a doctor, we call it the group effect. It's this concept in medicine of why group therapy is so important. It's because when you go through a difficult experience that challenges you and really forces you to grow and you meet with people who have had that same difficult experience, when you share your experience with others, it validates and normalizes the experience for you. 
And that has a direct impact on your stress response and your biology. Yes. So absolutely. Uh, this universal theme of having literally no no space is, it's happening. And especially because during the pandemic, not only were women interrupted every three minutes and 42 seconds, so there's actually no mental space, but women's unpaid labor increased by 153%. Jesus. So there was no actual respite because your physical space is being occupied by homeschooling, homework, possibly trying to, you know, fit in work in there, watching toddlers, dealing with aging and ailing parents. Yeah. My sister-in-law lives in a tiny apartment in Brooklyn with my younger brother, and they have three kids, one of them on the spectrum, and all were being homeschooled, but, you know, in different ways. My brother's a teacher, so he was home. And, you know, my sister-in-law had these three kids who were scared, anxious, have their own issues, were trying to do schoolwork. You know, she was like, I can't do sixth grade math. And I just thought, my God, this poor woman, how is she getting through? And of course, she would cry. And I just thought, this is women all over the globe right now, all over the globe. The husbands, for some reason, were saying they take precedence because of, you know, their job. And the women were trying to talk to their bosses under the kitchen sink while they're nursing. I think the biggest problem with the home is that um, it presents very small. We think we're fighting about who's bringing home the blueberries. We think we're the only ones fighting um, over whose turn it is to homeschool our child in sixth grade math. Or, you know, one woman said, every time my partner forgets to put the laundry in the dryer, I dump the clothes on his pillow, you know? So we think we're having these micro fights, but actually this is a, such a systemic issue. And so I think if we're here just to say you're not alone, it is so hard to be a working parent in this country. And if anything, the silver lining of this pandemic can do anything. It's one thing, it's return us to our values, to what's most important in our lives. I mean, why do we do holiday cards and Elf on the Shelf? Like, let's retire all these things that other people told us we had to do and return to the things that we care about. And number two, recognize that we have to change things in this country. But the first thing is the awareness. We're finally aware that this is not sustainable anymore, especially for women. We cannot live like this anymore on the backs of the unpaid labor of women. You know, what's so interesting is that the statistics are bleak. 70% of the workforce say that this has been the most stressful time of their entire professional career. 60 plus percent of people note at least one feature of burnout. And 70% say that COVID is most likely the culprit. So we're using the pandemic, you know, you hear it all the time. It's a public health crisis. It's a public health emergency. But on top of that, it is an occupational health crisis, it's a family structure crisis, and it's a parenting crisis. So in many ways, it really speaks to all of our societal ills. And in thinking through, how do we get out of this? How can we make it better? Eve mentioned that the silver lining for her is returning to our values. For me, the silver lining of this pandemic is that finally in the workplace, in the home, we are finally understanding that mental health is the shadow pandemic. As a physician, I've known this for a long, long time, right? Like these statistics are definitely worse now than they have been, but we've always had a mental health crisis. We've always had that sense of overwhelm, depression, anxiety, mood disorders, insomnia. But over the past couple of years, there's been a tripling in prescriptions written for these conditions, but these stress-related conditions have always been there. Yeah. 
You know, there's this one statistic, 60 to 80% of all primary care visits have some sort of stress-related component. It's been happening for a long time. It is much worse now. At least now we're recognizing it and bringing it to light. Right. I, I now don't know any teenager that isn't suffering from anxiety, whether they're medicated or not, or they're self-medicating with pot or something else. I, I feel like there's a whole generation of kids right now who need help. But one of the things that was interesting about researching creativity as a solution, you know, this idea of being interested in your own life, not just creativity with a paintbrush, but this idea that this flow state, activities that make us come alive are a way to return us to the things that we remember about ourselves. The same way, Ali, your your retreat, your ability to think, like you said, to ask yourselves, why did I buy these sneakers to make decisions for ourselves? It's Really interesting because I went really pretty deep into positive psychology as I was researching my second book. Mm -hmm. And what's been fascinating about positive psychology, this how to be happy movement, there's been lots of books that happiness has become its own industry. What happened was that there became this really strange Reagan era, you know, individualism, like I had to do this alone. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of been co-opted by the happiness movement, sort of like, as one woman said, I've gratitude journaled myself to death. (laughs) That somehow (laughs) that that's the way out of this. Right. Uh And the truth is, it just isn't. The more we say, I want to be happy or you say to your kids, I wish you happiness. It's actually the really the wrong way to look at things. So if you put happiness in its place, this is what I found. And it's actually been really helpful to me to understand that. If we were happy all the time right now, we'd be literal sociopaths, right? Um, But (laughs) the true definition of mental health is having the appropriate emotion at the appropriate time, and the ability and strength to weather it. And what I find so fascinating about that is we're going to have a lot of difficult emotions right now, but it's the ability and strength to weather it. How do you do that? You can do it through hedonistic adaptations, which is, you know, for me, emotional eating, smoking (laughs) weed, like you said, binge watching TV, doom scrolling. Check, check, check. Um, That is happiness, right? That's happiness without meaning. And then... If you look at meaning without happiness, meaning without happiness is associated with caregiving. But when do you actually get meaning and happiness combined? That's the ability and strength to weather this thing. And so many of us, or at least in my research, so many people said, well, I don't have those experiences anymore. I may have those happy without meaning experiences. I may have meaning without happiness, which is my caregiving. But when am I actually having that time for meaning and happiness to explode? whether that's crocheting in your crocheting class, baking a pie and sharing with a neighbor, hip hop dance like I've been doing, whatever it is for you, those we have to bring those back and we have to equate it with the same priorities that we give to breathing, literally. So I think about a lot of, of people I know during COVID. I have one friend who I actually uh, talked to on my podcast because she found out during COVID that she did not have COVID. She had stage four lung cancer. And so she was forced to kind of reassess everything in her life very quickly. And I said to her, what's getting you through? And I was expecting, you know, some a deep Buddhist poem. And she said, I'm taking online ukulele classes. And I was like, oh, yes. Okay. All right. Yes. And so, and more and more people have said, you know, after they went through getting high cholesterol and and binge watching every show, people started to go, you know what, I'm going to try to learn a different language or I'm going to, you know, maybe I should do this. And so is that, is that what kind of what you mean about finding these 
creative things in one's life, whether you're good at them or not, and sort of growing them and nurturing them? Yeah, well, we should bring you on the road with us because you just distilled it very, very beautifully. (laughs) Oh, good. Creativity loves constraints. This is a time we're extremely constrained. And this is the time where, as we said, you know, the walk around the block is not going to do it for us. And yes, so what we're seeing is that the people who are, again, not happy all the time, we said the appropriate emotion at the appropriate time, but the ability and strength to weather it, that's what we're focusing on, that umbrella, because it's raining now. We're not sure the storm's ever going to stop. It's this understanding that the the intersection of happiness and meaning in these pursuits and active pursuits that make people come alive is incredibly, incredibly important. And this is the thing. We say things like hobby. We say things like vanity project or passion project or side hustle. We literally use words to demean this thing we're talking about, this, this space. We're going back to space. Hobby was a word that people associated with infrequency. Side hustle was a word that people associated with having to commodify and make money off of the thing that they loved. Passion project sounded like you could only have one of them, one passion your whole life. So we started to think about and talk about space instead. And actually, the term we use now is unicorn space. Which I love. Because a lot of people use the term white space, which again, when I would talk to my friends of color, uh, they didn't love that word because a white space sounded like a place they couldn't be in, right? But then this idea of a unicorn space, right? This something that that's magical and mythical, but doesn't fucking exist until we can reclaim it. That's what we're talking about. Uh, it doesn't exist. Unicorns may be magical, but they actually don't exist. Don't tell my five-year-old daughter that. So this idea that there's a unicorn space out there for you, and it could be more than one. It could be your podcast, Sally. It could be your crocheting group. I'd say my favorite is... My friend who was the Sam's Club cashier, who's now an erotic narrator. And for her, she said, you know, my life is really hard. I have no space. We have one room. I have a toddler. My husband's an auto mechanic with crazy hours. But she makes time to narrate erotic books after her son goes to bed and she uploads it. And it's her favorite part of the day so much that she tattooed on her arm. Reading books is like breathing air. And so I said to her, well, what was your life like before you were an audiobook narrator? And she said, well, what's the opposite of breathing air? Wow. So we're trying to retire the words hobby, side hustle, passion, vanity project, because usually they're typically associated with women and they're associated with infrequency and nice to have. And this is a must have as we're talking about. You know, humans are meaning seeking purpose driven creatures. And so when we are able to create meaning and purpose through difficult experiences, that's the growth mindset, right? That's when we embody the growth mindset. That's when we believe challenges make us wiser, stronger, and more adaptable. What's interesting about that idea of hedonic pleasure, right? Netflix, fast cars versus another kind of happiness, which is eudaimonic happiness, longer word. It's kind of scientific, but the science backs up eudaimonic happiness, that meaning-seeking, purpose-driven drive that we have. You know, what's interesting is eudaimonic happiness has been shown to influence our immune system. So our cells down to the cellular level, our body recognizes that difference between hedonic happiness and eudaimonic happiness. And so what better time than now, year three of the pandemic, to really embrace that sense of eudaimonic happiness. 
Allie, what's yours? What's your eudaimonic happiness? Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> We're putting you on the spot. I have sort of different things. I'm very crafty. So like, you know, the idea of making Valentine cards is very exciting for me. And I'll do it and when nobody's home and, you know, I'll put on some music and I'll have paints and, you know, that kind of thing I love. I also, when I would go away on my little alone trips, I love to dive for shells meaning I like to go out into the ocean and just look for shells and dive really deep down and in and, and I can get lost. I mean 8 hours can go by and I and the reason I love it is because I'm not thinking about all the things I have to do or should do and it's almost like a meditative stance. And then there's like a prize at the end, you know, there's a, the reward of the shell that I usually throw back. But, you know, it's been in this horrible pandemic time, I've had to find other outlets. But can I tell you what the beauty of your diving for shells example is, which I think you should calligraphy somewhere, is that when you were talking about that experience, I want to know if you could just go one level deeper, because what I heard was that there was discovery, there was wonder, there was presence. What other values does it bring up for you when you were diving for shells? Um, I, I like the simplicity of that pursuit, right? I think that for me and um, for I think women in general, because we're multitaskers, we always have in our brain 8 million things we have to do. Like you're, you're constantly downloading lots of incoming stuff. And then again, you, you know, add in not sleeping during COVID. And so for me, there's a peacefulness to my brain that I can't get anywhere else that I could get in the ocean. Like you, you couldn't be far enough from normalcy or, you know, quote unquote, my home. There's my dog. See, you're interrupted. Yes, exactly. It's never quiet. So for me, it's that simplicity, I think. But then, you know, there's a competitive nature to it, too. So I think there are layers to it. Well, I, what I think is important as a practice, though, is when we're stuck at home, back to space, is remembering that the things you're talking about are simplicity, discovery, foraging, quiet, wonder, peacefulness, and rigor. So I don't know what you mean by peacefulness, Eve, with an obese <laughs> dachshund barking right behind me. <laughs> yes. Right, you don't need that. No. But I think the idea of even putting on the wall simplicity, discovery, foraging, quiet, wonder, peacefulness, and rigor, and saying, you know what, this week I'm just going to pick one of those words to focus on. Maybe it's noise canceling headphones, it's sounds of the ocean, and it's you do that combined with your Valentine's making and saying, I'm not discovering shells, but at least I have some of the quiet and the peacefulness this week. So I always think it's a fun exercise because whatever you love to do, there's a reason why you love to do that. And if you can connect to that reason, then there are other things we can do in this more limiting time that hopefully can help us connect in small ways back to those things. Like for example, my friend, she loves to do pottery. She hasn't been going to a pottery studio because she's immune compromised. But what she did do was she went, she feels more comfortable outdoors. So she's been looking in thrift sales for like a perfect bud vase and just picking a different flower to put in that bud vase to remind her that she loves pottery. And I just thought that was such a beautiful way. It is beautiful. Yeah. To do something small, you know? Mm-hmm. We'll be right back. And we're back. 
Do you have more tricks, scientific or creative, that we can do during this period of uncertainty that brings us more connectiveness to our home, to our life? Absolutely. Yes. You know, what's so interesting, Ali, is like you you say a greater sense of connectivity to our homes and our lives. But I would say maybe first we have to think about a greater sense of connectivity to ourselves because that's something that we've really lost along the way, right? Because we have been serving everyone else. And so in terms of thinking through how can we concretely in scientific terms have strategies in our day-to-day lives that improve our situation in the now, in the pandemic, One of the ways we talked about just today, Eve and I, is like that phone. We often, many of us, instinctively, we open our eyes. One eye is open and we are already scrolling. We're looking at our emails. We're looking at our social feeds. Something that immediately ignites that dopamine, serotonin, and all of those neurotransmitters to go. These are not benign endeavors. They do harm to the brain, especially now when we are hypervigilant and our fight or flight mechanisms are already on high alert. The first strategy is just right when you wake up, keep that phone far away from your nightstand in another room or at least far away. There's so many other strategies. One of them is the idea of stop, breathe and be. Many of us are on Zoom meetings all day long. And so what you use this with a mindless, repetitive task that you do all day. So for you, Ali, maybe it's that you're, you know, one Zoom meeting to another to another. And how do you break that up when you feel like it's just this pressure cooker situation or Groundhog's Day? When you hit that start meeting button, it's that moment where you can do that brief reset. So you stop, bring awareness to your body, think about your breath for a second, take a deep breath in, think about your posture. And when you want to have that sense of being, you focus on your feet on the floor or your body in the chair, however you want to just a way, you know, a way to recognize. And and if you do that 10 times a day, 15 times a day, just that small reset, you can create a little bit more spaciousness into your daily life in the midst of that very hectic workday, you know, that pressure cooker environment that we've talked about with parenting and working and all of the things that are happening in that little room. Another really concrete way is to set up a fake commute. So many of us used to commute. We do very well with commuting because our brains like compartmentalization. We like structure. That's how our brains are wired. Mm-hmm. Right now, we are multidimensional beings in a unidimensional space. We're doing everything in one space, and that's not natural. It's not normal, and it's certainly not good for our brains. So faking a commute, go for a walk around the block, get that little brain space of like, oh, now I'm out of that parent mode, and I'm heading into work mode. You know, Eve talks a lot about rituals, and I love the concept of rituals. I I call that fake commute a bookend to my day. So I start my day like that. I end my day like that, even though I'm working from home. I love the fake commute because, again, the space becomes so small when you're in it for so long that even if, like you said, a walk around the block. I mean, I have dogs, as you heard, and they require walks because they need to relieve themselves. But during COVID, they are my fake commute and they are my, you know, 
ritual, Eve, because I have to take them out three times a day. And so that does kind of make me feel like the the morning commute, my lunch break, and then the end of the day commute is because I got to walk these dogs. Perfect. It's already built in. I will up level that too, because, mm-hmm. and I'll shout out to essential workers, because we obviously know that there are many people who are still working out of the home. And I remember one nurse in Texas recently said to me that what she's done is she's been taking a picture in nature. She works in a hospital, which is very industrial. She said the fluorescent lights really get to her team. So they all commune with nature in a very easy ritual that you can pair with with her commute. So what she does is she stops on the way to work. She takes some picture of nature. She says birds are her favorite. But if she can't spot a bird, she'll do a flower or something on the road. She takes one picture during her lunch break and one picture on her way home. And then at the end of the week, her team shares what they do in nature. Yeah, wow. So maybe you could do that on your walk. Take a picture, Allie. I I would. See what you see. I'll do all of it. Why don't you forage for shells in the city? I will. I will look for conch shells in Central Park. You know, Um, I mean the metaphorical (laughs) shell, of course. I actually sometimes look for old tennis balls or balls that have been lost, you know, keeps me focused. Take a picture of that, right? Take a picture of lost items. I feel like that would be so cool to see. Yeah. And there's a lot of lost items in Central Park, that's for sure. So let me ask you this. What are three things that you both, through this process and everything you've been learning and researching, three things in your own lives that you're letting go, that you realize during COVID, like, I don't need this? Okay. These are the three things. And I talk about this actually in my second book because they were also very important things for other people. I'm letting go of the belief that I have to be available to everybody at all times. So I'm giving myself a permission to be unavailable for my roles as parent, parent and or partner and or professional. I am uh, burning guilt and shame. And to do that, I have to often reframe it as I feel guilty because I didn't put Anna to bed to I made the decision not to put Anna to bed because I wanted to go forage for shells in Central Park after it was dark out. (laughs) Everyone's doing it. And I would say, um, I'm sick of not asking for what I need. So a permission to actually ask for what I need in advance to block out times in my calendar to say, you know what? I don't want to live an overwhelmed and bored life, Seth. And I don't think you do either. So like, let's find some time where we both can like come alive alone. And then we're going to be much better for each other. So how can we show up for that? Okay, good. Aditi? I love that. What about you? The first thing that I have really given up is this idea that I am an expert all the time. Because with COVID, things are perpetually changing. The idea of resilience and mental health and stress and burnout, all of these things that I do have that expertise in. I am also a living, breathing example of that experience now. And so that is new and different. And so I'm letting go of that in the best way possible. The second thing that I'm letting go of is like you, Ali, I too used to take lots of trips and travel to so many different places. Miami was my winter escape hatch. And I have unvaccinated minors at home, so I can't do that right now. And so I have had to create that sense of escape in my daily life, in the drudgery of cold and dark Boston. And I am creating that for myself every single day, even yesterday in 25 degree weather, I was able to do that. And that was a win for me. And the third thing that I'm really letting go of is that idea that we really do need to know everything and have that sense of perfectionism. 
I have been very good over the years, but the pandemic has really brought that to light. And so every day I try to zoom out, focus on what really matters. It's our health, our family, and love, and those really cheesy things which we often took for granted. And when you can just zoom out and look at those essentials of what makes life meaningful, everything just goes from there. So I have a little a little gimmick I do on my podcast, which is I've spent an hour asking you all kinds of questions, and now I get to turn it around, and you guys get to ask me a question, and you can ask me a question about anything you want. Oh, my God. I love this so much. Um, okay. If you were on a desert island for a year. Oh, sounds like heaven. <laughs> tell me the top three things if you came off after that year, you would have said, wow, I can't believe I did that. Well- because I'm on a deserted island, there is a survival aspect of it. So I would like to feel like I built a hut with a conch shell fence <laughs> by myself. I knew how to spear fish. I knew, you know, the basics of I knew how to live. I think the second thing is I would have had a year by myself and in my own head, which is amazing. So I think I would come off the island with a hell of a book, <laughs> right? Which I'm already, I'm already optioning into a movie. I agree. <laughs> I, I feel like that book. I yeah, feel like, I, yes. I got Reese Witherspoon already attached to this. Um, <laughs> and I think, I mean, I would come back a better wife, mother, person, and friend, for sure, because I would have so much time to think about the important things. But I think the most empowering thing is my conch shell fence, which people <laughs> will talk about for centuries. Again, right. It's back to the creativity. I love it. I can't help it. <laughs> um, Aditi, what is your question for me? My question for you, Ali, is more of a personal one. How do you still laugh yourself and how do you give people the ability to laugh with the situation that we're in right now? I will tell you this. For me, laughter is an incredibly healing thing. And I deal with so many different things with humor. And so it's sort of just who I am. And during the dark days, certainly the beginning of COVID, I used humor as a way to help my kids and my husband. And I remember one night we discovered the show called Love Island, Australia, which is just about people hooking up. It's it's the <laughs> lowest, most disgusting, misogynistic show. Hedonic, hedonic, right? Hedonic. Well <laughs> yeah. Yes. And we all would watch it together. And of course, I would do running commentary about, you know, just the girls in the bikinis and the heels. And one night, our family decided to have Love Island dinner. So we all dress up. Even my husband, George Stephanopoulos, put on a bathing suit. We all put on <laughs> bikinis and heels and spoke with Australian accents. And we were laughing so hard. I think one of my daughters, Peter Pants. And that, to me, was about getting through a dark time with humor. And I, I try to create those as much as I can mm -hmm. in my life because otherwise, you know, I'm, I'm under the covers, you know what I mean, with the shades down. So humor has saved me. And I think during COVID certainly helped my family. Wow. I'm crying because That's I'm nice. laughing with that visual. That image is so funny. I know. Oh, gosh. I have, I have a photograph that I promised my family I would never show. But, <laughs> you know, it is, it's an image that will stick with us forever. 
And the accent. Like, I love that. And the accent. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. We were fully committed to this. So, Aditi and Eve, I can't thank you enough for coming on Go Ask Alley and helping us with all kinds of ideas to literally lift our spirits. Thank you. This is so fun. Thank you for having us. I love the idea of a unicorn space. And when they were talking about hobbies and side hustles, which we're not allowed to say anymore, I was thinking about how in the summer of the first year of COVID, I discovered clamming and I literally dipped my toe into it. And then I became obsessed and I ordered a clam rake on Amazon and wellies. And I would go out in the afternoon for about an hour and a half and I would go clamming and I would come back with like two dozen clams. I also got my Fisher license, my clamming license, and I would come home and make linguine and clams, which was great the first 30 times and then my family got so sick of it they couldn't take them anymore and I used to go clamming and then I would hand it out to people I knew friends in town and that was my way of connecting to my community so not only was it something where I had the headspace to be out in the bay digging for clams I also got to you know feed my family with it and then I got to be part of my community with it so I Jesus I could write a whole book on clamming Thank you for listening to Go Ask Allie. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast and follow me on social media on Twitter at Allie E. Wentworth and on Instagram at The Real Allie Wentworth. Now, if you'd like to ask me a question or suggest a guest or a topic to dig into, I'd love to hear from you and there's a bunch of ways to do it. You can call or text me at 323-364-6356 or you can email a voice memo right from your phone to Podcast at gmail.com. If you leave a question, you may hear it on Go Ask Allie. Go Ask Alley is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.